Hallelujah. Well, good morning, Joy. Anybody excited to be in the house of God today? What about this side over here? You guys ready to ready to receive something from the presence of God, the goodness, the kingdom of God? Anyone? Yeah. All right, praise the Lord. Say the kingdom is here. Kingdom is here. Say I'm here. I'm here. And so is God. So is God. Uh, aren't you glad to know God's here? Yeah. Ooh, well, okay. Well, we hope you'll get gladder as the service goes on. Maybe you're like, oh, uh, God's here? Boy, he knows what I've been doing now. And I hope he doesn't, hope he doesn't tell on me or something. <laughs> well, welcome. Glad that you're here this morning. We've got a, I've got a lot of things that I want to share. I, sometimes I don't know where to start because it's just like, well, let me just start with a little story. If, you, if you've noticed, there's construction that's happening uh, on Highway 23 and Highway 10. And I live, we live real close to here. And I was driving down the road and I'm like, I was telling Shelly, it's like, you know, I, we knew this construction project was coming for a couple of years. I went to a couple of meetings during COVID about all, everything that was going to happen and all that stuff. And, and I was driving and I'm like, it looks like they just started everywhere. I mean, they dug everything up, they're piling up, they're, they're doing stuff, closing. It's like they started everywhere. And, and I'm quite honestly, I sort of feel like that this morning. It's like, I just want to start everywhere. There's, there's so much that's in my heart uh, in this series, The Kingdom is Here. And I've, I've shared with you a couple of, uh, a lot of different things over the last four months. And if you're new to joy, uh, this is something, a theme, the word here is a, is a word that I've been talking about since January. And you could go back and look, we did, we did a series called Here. And the idea, and, and I'll get into that in just a moment, but, but this has, has gotten so big on the inside of me. And I think Part of the reason for that is, 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 how many of you know the world's gone crazy? Actually, I don't know if the world has gone crazy, but America has gone crazy. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, I want to, it's upside down, yeah. It's, well, actually, Jesus came and turned the world, that's what they said in the book of Acts. Those that have turned the world upside down, they're here now. And, and, you know, somehow it's topsy-turvy regardless. I think we're all getting a little bit dizzy as to just trying to keep up with everything that's going on. And it's easy for us to lose sight of what it is that, that God is doing. It's easy for us to get overwhelmed uh, with the idea that everything seems to be happening so quickly. And, and things, in my opinion, this is my opinion, uh, but I have the pulpit, so it'll be my opinion for right now. You get your own pulpit, you can have your opinion. And some of you do on Facebook and, you know, all the other places. But anyway... Uh, you know, this world's gotten kind of just weird. And, and I think that the world is looking for stability. It's looking for peace. It's looking for something. And, and this is not unlike the time that Jesus stepped into the world when Jesus came and, 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 you know, he was born of a virgin. We know that story. And then he lived kind of in relative obscurity, developing the ministry that God wanted for him and, and learning and growing and all of the things that had to happen. And then when he stepped into public ministry, when he stepped into, you know, he was, John the Baptist came as a forerunner. This is Matthew chapter three. Uh, he came as a forerunner saying, hey, Jesus, the, the Messiah, he's coming. Uh, and, and Jesus comes to John, gets baptized in the river Jordan. A dove descends on Jesus' head and says, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus goes and he starts fasting for 40 days. Presence of God, the anointing of God comes on him. He steps into public ministry and he stepped into a world that was expecting something. It was chaotic. Again, the Jewish world, the, the, the world that he was a part of, but it was a part of another kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, and Rome was the ruling power. And so the very first thing that Jesus says as a preacher, as his 
as his message, and, and we've used this the last couple of weeks, but I want to reiterate it again. Matthew chapter 4, 17, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And so from the time that he was baptized by John, fasted in the wilderness, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent. Everybody say repent. I thought last week, Pastor John is celebrating a birthday today, but Pastor John did a great job last week just in that whole message. If you missed it, get, get, get a, uh, you know, you watch online and, and uh, it was good. It was really, really, I, I, I said, you know, you really did it. It was, a, in fact, I, I, I think it was one of the best messages he's ever preached. And, and he was like, well, as opposed to the times that I really stunk up the joint or what? You know, kind of a thing. We all have that. Oh, you were really anointed today. as like the times compared to when I wasn't. But anyway, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Why should I repent? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Other translation is at hand. The kingdom is here. All of those thoughts that we've talked about. And the word repent, I want to remind you, the word repent has a negative connotation to today because of the way that it's been misused, misinterpreted, Christianese. The idea of repent is you're a filthy sinner, you, you've, you're lost, you're no good, so repent or you're going to die and go to hell. Well, you should repent because hell is a reality. There is a hell. There is a heaven, there is a hell. A lot of people think that earth is hell. No, if you're not born again, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, this earth is as good, as close to heaven as you will ever get because it's only going to get worse from here. If Jesus is your Lord, this is as bad as it will ever get and it will only get better from here. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so the idea of repent simply means to turn. It means to change. It means many of you have repented. You thought one thing. You maybe were, I do this a lot with my wife. She says, oh, you're right. And I stop her. I say, wait, what? What did you just say? I want verification. I want, I want confirmation. Oh, she hates it when I do that. And so sometimes when we say you're right, we are, cha- we are repenting. It's not a negative in that sense. I was headed this way. I thought this, but now I have repented. I've done a, a 180 and I've changed my mind. Now we read this verse where Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came to this earth, and and you have to understand that because Jesus came as a representative of the kingdom of God. But he was speaking to people who had no idea really what that meant, what that that entailed. Because they could only think human governments, human kingdoms, the natural. They didn't fully understand the spiritual ramifications of what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus stepped into a world that, that for the Jews, they were under Roman occupation and, and, and rule. And, and when Jesus came to this, in fact, Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, I'll put it up on the screen. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 was when the apostles were with Jesus. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel? And notice this, restore our kingdom. Now this is, this is the book of Acts. This is after Jesus died. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. He showed himself alive to the apostles. They, they stuck fingers in, in his hands and side. And it's like, that's gross, but it's cool. He's alive. And after that, then they say, now is the time. Now is the time. Are you now going to restore our kingdom, our kingdom, our kingdom? And Jesus was like, listen, guys, I know you want me to come and wipe everybody out. I know that you want me to come and kill everybody, get them out of the way so that we can restore the glory of the nation of Israel. I know that that's what you want, but I didn't come for that purpose. I'm only going to do what I hear and see the father doing. I've come with a different purpose in mind. I've come to liberate you. I've come to undo everything that the devil did. 
But, but I've come with a different purpose. I want to show and reveal the heart of God. And it's like, you know, Jesus, they were like, you can't heal on the Sabbath day. Jesus is like, wait, what? Hold my communion. I'll show you I can. <laughs> Laid hands on somebody and boom, they were healed. Well, children, stay away from Jesus. No, let him come to me. Let him come to me. He was showing a different way. He was showing something that was different. And this is so important. Because I, I, and I was looking at this this morning. When, when it said, Are you, have you now come to restore our kingdom? Isn't that somewhat what we do? When we get born again, we get saved, we start hearing about the goodness of God, the blessing of God. And I believe with all my heart, God wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. He is Jehovah Jireh. We just sang about it this morning. He is the God who is more than enough. He will always be our provider. It's his character. That is his name. His names reveal his heart. His names reveal his character. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is our peace. He is our banner. He is our strength. He is all of those things. And so when we sing he is enough, he really is enough. He's more than enough. Praise God. People looking for truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm here. I'm the standard. They're lost. They've lost their way. And Jesus said, no, the way is here. It's me. It's a person. He said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And so they were looking for a natural kingdom. They were looking for, for, for a natural ruler. They were looking for somebody who was going to show them the way. And so then Jesus, as, as it says in, in Matthew chapter 4, he began to preach, but he never stopped preaching this. He began to talk about the kingdom, but he never stopped talking about the kingdom. And he realized that the people weren't understanding what he was saying, so he would tell parables. A parable is a, a, parable is a, a, a truth that's wrapped in a story. It is a truth that maybe you can't comprehend, but the story is going to help you understand what it's talking about. And so he come, came speaking parables of the kingdom. Uh, you know, just, just a few of them. He said... The kingdom is like a seed that is sown, or a seed that's planted. The kingdom of God is like a seed. It's sown in the ground. It's like a mustard seed. It seems so small and insignificant. It seems so weak. But when it's planted, it's going to grow, and it's going to produce, and it's going to be a tremendous blessing. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a man that that found, or that, that was looking for a great pearl. It's like a man who had two sons. The kingdom of heaven is like letting down your nets in a lake. You find the kingdom of heaven by becoming like little children Jesus told these stories to help the people that he was ministering to understand the kingdom of heaven that is here now everybody say here the kingdom is here it's here and Jesus began when he preached that he said in Matthew chapter 4 he began to preach and talk about the kingdom in Matthew chapter 5 then we get his very first sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. It's found over in the book of Luke also. Luke condensed it quite a bit. But in Matthew, we get a really good idea of what he was talking about. And I really appreciated what Pastor John said last week. He, 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 the very first thing that Jesus gave us was what we call the Beatitudes. And the very first Beatitude was uh, Matthew chapter 5. In verse 3, it says, God bless, this is the New Living Translation. We, we might hear it, blessed are the poor in spirit, which never sounds like a blessing to me. Anytime you put poor and blessing together, it doesn't sound like a great idea to me. How about you? But he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The New Living says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is there. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the ones that realize they're poor and they need him. 
The kingdom of heaven belongs to the ones who believe or understand and know that they are poor in spirit. They're poor in spirit and they need God. Everything that Jesus says from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 until he gets to the end of chapter 27 where he's talking about the person who built his house upon the rock and the storms came and because he built his house on a rock, the house didn't fall apart. But there was another one who built his house on the, st- on the sand and the storms came and the sand washed away, the house washed away and it was uh, uh, the fall of it, Jesus said, was great. And he said, that person who built his house on a rock, was a person who heard what I said, heard what I said, not only heard, but did what I said. Then their house was founded upon a rock. And when the storms, not if, but when the, I I just want you to know, storms are coming. I, I like, I didn't like it, but it's true. A person one time said, you were either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or heading into a storm. I mean, how many of you know that's true? You might, you might be just smooth sailing right now, but guess what? There's, there's, there, there could very well be. I'm not prophesying doom and gloom to you. It's just the reality of living on this planet. But in every storm, our Savior is with us. In every storm, God is here. In every storm, he makes a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. And sometimes those storms that we think that have come to destroy us are not there to destroy us. They're building something in us. They're putting something in us. They're they're taking things out of us and bringing us to a place of reliance upon him. We don't like that lesson, but we should learn it. And so he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor and realize their need for God. The ones who realize that they need God are the ones that are inheriting the kingdom. Everything that Jesus said from that point on is impossible for you to do. Or you might do it for a little while, but but you can't do all of those things alone and by yourself. Many of you have come to a point where it's like, I can't do this on my own. I can't. I've heard people say, I don't know how people who don't have a relationship with Jesus live this life. Because they know they can't do it. They know they can't do it on their own. And so, my thought in, in, in all of this, and I've got a couple of different veins that I'm, I'm trying to do this construction project all at the same time. <laughs> and so... God is here. I, I believe when we do series a lot, I like to teach in a series because it just, it helps me for one thing, but I think it's good for the congregation. But a series is, to me, is God emphasizing a truth. And, and, and we've been talking about the word here since January. And I believe that it is God emphasizing a truth. And, and, and what I mean by the word here, the definition of the word here, is it, it is our location, our proximity. It, it is here as opposed to there. I believe that there is a divine there that is in the heart of every person. God put it there. God wants you. He designed, in, in, in our DNA kind of a thing, in our soul, I don't know exactly where it is, but there's something in us that wants to prosper. There's something in us that's actually, in the book of Genesis, God created man and, and, and woman, and he put them in the garden. He said, I want them to have dominion over, over the, the fish of the sea, the fowl of the earth. I want them to have dominion. I want them to increase. I want them to grow. I want them to take over. I want them to do that. That's in the heart of humanity. We, there's something in us that wants more. We want more. And I think God put that there. But the problem is because of the curse, because of the fall, because of sin, that desire for more becomes an over-desire. 
Where it's like, I'm not satisfied. I can't, I, I just got to have more. And it becomes something that is so strong in us that, that, that it causes us to neglect our families, causes us to neglect our God, causes us to, to neglect all kinds of different things because we're just totally unsatisfied. And so the idea of, of here as opposed to there, we spend a lot of our life wanting to be there. We want to be there financially. We want to be there relationally. We want to be there in our career. We want to be there in every part of our life. And because we want to be there, we're dissatisfied with here. And because we're dissatisfied with here, we think here stinks. And this, can't, this was last year. I was at a point, I was like, man, I hate it here. I do not want to be here again. You've heard the story, don't want to go into it again. But I know that many of you have, I, here I am again, I don't want to be here, I hate it here. But the problem with that is that we devalue here. We devalue what God can do in our life here. Because here is the only place that God can minister to us. And many have bought into a lie of religion that says, well, once you quit doing this and once you stop doing that, once you get there, then God. No, God is a here God. God is a now God. God is a where you are right now God. Psalm chapter 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Because this God who is a present strength and a source, because this God who is always here, because he is here right now. Actually, the Hebrew name, this idea, this thought, he's a present help. We get the word omnipresent. God is always present. There's not any place that you can ever go that God hasn't already been there. There's not a problem that you can step into that God's not there because God is always here. But many people are thinking, well, when I get there, when I stop this, when I do that, when I win the lottery, when I, whatever it might be, if she'd quit doing this and he'd start doing that, then, no, here, God is an ever-present source of help in our time of trouble. And because he is here, verse 2, therefore, because he's here, because he's omnipresent, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, pause, think about this. Your God is here. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, your God is here, which is why we talked about hearing. Because it's what I hear while I'm here that's going to make or break me. It's what I hear while I'm here. And because many people hear, have heard, well, God's mad at you because you sinned, or God's mad at you because you messed up, or somebody told you you shouldn't have done it, and you went ahead and did it, now you're suffering the consequences, and God's mad at you, and so you better just forget about getting any help from God. And it's what I hear while I'm here that will affect me. Sometimes what we heard about God. God's judging you. God's mad at you. God's angry at you. God doesn't love you because you whatever. I don't know that we can hear that too much sometimes. God's not angry at you. If he was angry at you, you'd have been dealt with a long time ago. God's really, really good at it. But God is long-suffering and he is patient and he is kind. And we should all be so thankful because we'd all be just a little ash pile if he wasn't. <laughs> Hallelujah. So pause and think about it. Don't devalue what God is doing right here. Don't underestimate the power of here. Don't underestimate the power of what can happen. What Jesus was saying after he talked about the Beatitudes, he said, you've heard it said, but I want you to forget what you've heard. 
Because I'm bringing another standard. I'm bringing something different. I'm telling you about the rules and the dynamics of a different kingdom that you apparently have forgotten about, that you don't know about. I've come as a representative of that. And so... This week, doing my first 15, I'm praying, I'm worshiping, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do in my first 15, that, because I can't, my first 15 generally becomes longer than 15. But as I was thinking and meditating, just going through a lot of what I just talked to you about, this thought, and I should have, I should have put it on the screen for you, it's probably in your notes. If I would condense the last four months to this thought, we are representing an invisible God who is always here, to a culture that will only believe what it sees and what it feels. We're called to represent or even to believe in a God that is always here. He's omnipresent. He is always here. To a culture and to a people that will only believe what it sees and what it feels. And I think that you and I many times are in that category. We're a part of a culture that we will only believe what we see and what we feel. We asked that question a few months ago. Would you rather hear God or see God? Most people would rather see than hear. But the kingdom of God operates on a system of hearing and then seeing, not seeing and then believing. That's the kingdom of heaven. So why is this important? Why, is, why, should, why should we even care? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Isn't that good enough? You know, I've, I was talking with staff a week or two ago, and, and something that's really important to me in Acts chapter 8, says that uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He preached Christ. There was great joy in the city. I believe that preaching Christ will bring joy into our hearts and into our lives. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe it is the preaching of the gospel that reveals and brings the power of God. It is God's word that brings his power. I believe that with all my heart. And so I have said often that preaching on a Sunday morning we are a melting pot church. We have people from every denomination that attend this church. We have people from no denomination. We have people who don't even know or believe or, or, or aren't convinced that there is a God. People that don't believe the Bible's true. They're here every week. <laughs> They're here every week, which is why we're glad you're here. And so my mission on a Sunday morning, if you can imagine a math class, you've heard me share this before. If I'm teaching a math class, and in that math class, there are people that are struggling with two plus two is four, so I gotta say something that's relevant to them, but then I also have people in the math class that have taken numbers and letters and symbols and put it all together and call that math, and they can understand it. Now, I don't go there. I'm pretty good with addition, I, you know, multiplication, kind of, you know, eight plus eight, or eight times eight fell on the floor, picked it up, it was 64. I, that's how I remember those things, you know? So, um, you know, you get, uh, you know, so anyway, I'm sometimes eight, 16, 20, I like sevens because it's football, you know, seven, 14, 20, 28. Anyway, you know, so I, I struggle sometimes with some of those things. But you put numbers and symbols and, and, and letters together, I, I, you might as well just, you know, whatever. My calculator doesn't even do that. Well, I'm lost. But others of you, and so that same idea spiritually. Today there are people who do not know that 2 plus 2 is 4. In fact, so there are people probably here today or for sure watching online that aren't even convinced there's a 2. And we have people here today that in a spiritual sense, they're taking numbers, they're taking letters, they're taking symbols, they're putting it all together and they're coming back with all kinds of different things. And you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Peter struggled with this. Peter was talking about Paul's message. He, he said, Paul talks about some things that are tough to understand. Here's Peter, he's one of the disciples. Talks about stuff that's tough. So you all understand that, right? 
But today there's something different. Because there are, there are today people who believe that two plus two is five. They believe two plus two is five. And they're not satisfied with just believing it. They want to force you to believe it too. And no matter how you try to tell somebody that two plus two, I got two apples here and I got two apples here and that becomes four. Well, now, you know what? No, it's five. And you have no right to tell me it's not five. It's five. It's five. You're stupid. You're, you know. How many of you ever changed your mind because somebody called you an idiot? None of you, right? You never changed your mind because you're a moron. You are stupid. Oh, you're right. I'm going to change my mind about that. No, we'll double down on our stupidity. Right? Some of you are laughing harder than maybe you ought to. Because you can't say amen, you're saying, oh, me. <laughs> We've never changed our mind because somebody called us a name. So I want to say something to you I said a couple of weeks ago. We can't force people, and we can't expect people to live by a standard that they haven't yet accepted. We can't force people to believe what we believe. One of the biggest struggles, one of the things that I ask pastors all the time about, because pastors are, we all, we all assume, but we assume, pastors assume in an area that we shouldn't. We assume everybody starts with believing the Bible. We think everybody believes the Bible. Well, just a look at any congregation is proof that Christians don't believe the Bible. Ooh, got quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> Just to look at any congregation. Look at your own, look at my, I, I, I'll t I believe the Bible, but I don't always do the Bible. But the understanding of the Greek mind, when you said you believe something, you, if you didn't do it, you actually didn't believe it. What you said didn't matter. What you did is what mattered. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Right? So how's our fruit? We can't force people or expect people to live by a standard that they haven't accepted. And this is so important to me. I, I don't know that you can fully grasp it. We said this a couple of weeks ago. Let me just go there again. I thought it was important. There's two kingdoms. Spiritually speaking, there's two kingdoms. Kingdom of God or the kingdom of light. The kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of darkness. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, we read this verse. Let me read it again. Colossians 1.13, the very first part of it says, For he, speaking of Jesus, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. How many of you used to be in the kingdom of darkness? All right. How many of you aren't sure? <laughs> that is the condition of all of humanity. All humanity was in the kingdom of darkness. Paul said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It was the result of spiritual death entering into the existence of the human race. Happened in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3. We find all about that a couple of weeks ago. We went into chapter 5 of Genesis. If you understand the fifth, first five chapters of the book of Genesis, you can understand. It was God's one-man plan. God intended for Adam to become the head of the human race. And so God put everything into Adam that he wanted humanity to be. But Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, then, then it was the new birth in reverse. And instead of life being in Adam and flowing, death, a spiritual nature was in Adam. And it flowed to all of humanity. And Satan became the God of this world. And everybody's a part of that kingdom. He's rescued us. So Jesus came with a rescue plan. Woohoo! 
He came and the rescue plan included him dying on a cross, shedding his blood, rising from the dead, which broke the, the curse of the law and, and established the law of righteousness, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. This brings us, makes us free from the law of sin and death. How did that happen? Verse 14. Who purchased us, speaking of Jesus, he purchased us with our freedom, or purchased our freedom, and he forgave our sins. He went to the cross, he died, he rose again, and that's grace. That is grace. Not fair, but it's grace. The thief on the cross, he got grace. He got something he didn't deserve. He didn't have the opportunity to jump off the cross, go do some good deeds. He didn't have the opportunity to say, well, I'll try harder next time. He got a gift that he did not work for, he didn't earn, and he didn't deserve, but he got it because of something Jesus did. Jesus paid a price. And we illustrated that, the idea of grace. Grace is receiving a gift that you didn't work for, earn, or deserve. And so all of us are there. Verse 13 again says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, but the plan didn't stop with you being forgiven of your sins. It says he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and, everybody say and, and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. You were taken out of one kingdom. Every kingdom has a set of laws or rules and standards. It has a culture. But now you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you were brought into the kingdom of God's son that has a different set of laws and rules and culture and life and flow to it. You were a part of one, but now you're a part of a different one. Something, remember, we gave you this definition, a kingdom. A kingdom is the governing influence of a king over his territory. Satan is the god of this world. He is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. God is the ruler of the kingdom of light. But notice what happens. It is the influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, his purpose, and his intent. The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it in its fullness, that you might have it abundantly. That's the kingdom of light. It produces a culture, values, morals, and lifestyle that reflect the king's desire and nature for his citizens. I would use it like a, the idea of a stream of a, a, or a river. There is a stream or a river of a current of this life. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2. That we used to be a part of that stream or that culture or that energy or that flow. We were in the river that was headed downstream. It was headed downhill in a sense. It was headed towards death. It was full of death and pollution and corruption. But you've been taken out of that river now and you've been placed into another river. You've been placed into a river that has life, it has power, it has purpose, it has passion, it has energy. You used to be a part of one kingdom, now you are a part of a different kingdom. This is so important to under. That's why I think anyway, and it's just gotten bigger on the inside of me, but in, in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you do the things that I say in Matthew chapter 7, he said, if you do what I tell you to do, your life is going to be blessed. It's going to endure and it's going to stand because the kingdom is enough. The kingdom is enough. But in the middle, Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek first, put the kingdom first. 
I want to say something to you that I, don't, I, I hope that you get. I hope that you understand this. I think, and it's the reason that we did the illustration a couple of weeks ago with the envelopes. We gave one person an envelope that had $50 in it. You had to believe there was $50 in it to have the opportunity to get that $50. A person got that $50. Because they did nothing but to stand up and say, I believe. But then we had other envelopes that were hidden in here that you had to seek for. Because there's a difference between receiving Jesus by faith, receiving the gift that God gives. There's a difference between receiving that and actually actively pursuing and seeking. There is a difference between a Christian and a person who understands they're a part of a kingdom that they are now seeking after. Let's say that again. There's a difference between a Christian, born again, spirit-filled, they're a Christian, going to heaven. But seekers are different. Seekers are actively pursuing, wanting to understand the kingdom that they are now a part of. Wanting to understand that there's a life that is available to me. There's different rules in the kingdom of God. There's different standards in the kingdom of God than in the kingdom that I used to be a part of. And so uh, that, that statement that I made, we, we, we can't force people. Let me just say this. We can't force people or expect people to live by a standard of the kingdom that they are not a part of. We can't expect people that have the nature of the kingdom of darkness to all of a sudden begin to live like a person that has the nature that comes with the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, we have Christians who've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's son that have no idea that they're a part of a different kingdom that has different rules, that has a different understanding. Part of what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount, I don't know why that just comes up, on the Sermon on the, on the Mount, <laughs> the sermon that was up on the hill. <laughs> what the heck? Good thing I'm a professional speaker. Have my thoughts all put together. One of the things that Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come, and be alive, be a part. You see, I don't think that God just wants us, you and I, to get to heaven. God wants heaven to come to earth. God wants to establish his kingdom here on planet earth. God wants to do that. He wants to establish his kingdom here on planet earth. In Matthew chapter 4, what the scripture that I started with, the amplified version, it says this. The amplified of Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Regret past sins. Notice this. Live your life in a way that proves repentance. Live your life in a way that proves that you have changed your mind. Let your life be a reflection of your thoughts. Let your life be a reflection of your words and your actions and your deeds. Really, your life is that reflection. So he said, let your life reflect that you have changed. It proves repentance. He says, seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Your life and my life is proof that we've changed. But you and I cannot have lasting change without a heart change, first of all. It's impossible. You need a heart to change. Secondly, 
We need to change our thinking. The Apostle Paul called it renewing our mind. Listen to what Paul wrote, and I'm kind of hurrying here. We'll go into this next week. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, when someone becomes a Christian, well, how do you do that? Well, I try really hard to live right. That's not a Christian. That's a trying hard person. Pastor John said this last week, that, that the kingdom of heaven, this is not behavior modification. We're not just trying to be a kinder, gentler version of who we used to be. We're not trying to just sort of watch our language a little bit, trying to be nice to the wife, you know, not kick the dog, not cuss too much. That's not what we're doing. It's not behavior modification. It is transformation. Everybody say transformation. God wants you to be different. Live, walk, talk differently. I was going to ask Pastor John. I didn't get a chance to. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, they cuss like a sailor? Yeah. Pastor John was in the Navy. And I was going to ask him, Pastor John, is that a true statement? Because I feel like there's a whole lot of Christians used to be in the Navy. Because they sound no different than the world. If you can't say amen, say oh me. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person. Where? Inside. It's called the new birth. A brand new person on the inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. That's wonderful. That's the grace of God in action. He takes our sin and removes it. He, he buries it in the depths of the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. And there's a new nature that's on the inside of us. When we're taken out of the kingdom of darkness, the life of darkness stays there. And we're transformed into the kingdom of God's son. And there's a brand new life in us. There's a brand new life on the inside of us. But God wants it on the outside. Verse 20 says this. We are Christ's ambassadors. Look at the person next to you and say, you're an ambassador. The person on the other side, you're an ambassador. Now, Paul was talking about this. He said, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, receive the love that he offers you and be reconciled to God. The word reconciled means restored to favor. It is an accounting term that means everything balances, everything lines up, everything is correct. Everything's in the right category. Whether you're using two plus two or letters, numbers, and symbols, it all adds up. We were out of order, out of balance. We didn't add up before Christ, but now with Christ, everything has been made right because Jesus paid a price. But now, everybody say now. See, that was grace, that was receiving, that's becoming a Christian. But there's more. You were in darkness, but you're not anymore. You're in a different kingdom. There's more. <laughs> you're a child of God. And there's a new king on the inside of your heart and of your life. We're Christ's ambassadors. And let me just very quickly, you know, the, the most obvious way that we would look at an ambassador an ambassador is one who, you know, we, the, every country has ambassadors. We have ambassadors. The United States has ambassadors to all different countries of the world. And, and if, if we would go to the, the, the embassy in Canada, there's an ambassador that is in charge. He represents the interests of the U.S. government in a foreign land. That ambassador is representing America's interests and Americans in a foreign land. 
And, and they're established. If you go to that, that property, wherever that property is, and you're there, it is considered American soil, even though it's in Canada. Well, guess what? This church is an embassy. It is, it is under the dominion of God. But we're in a foreign and in a hostile land. And everywhere that you go, as an ambassador, you represent Christ. And the rules of the kingdom that you're out in, the kingdom of darkness, do not apply to you. The laws that, that, that affect the kingdom of darkness don't apply to you. You are under the laws of a different kingdom. It's the law of the kingdom of God. You might, maybe some of you younger ones, how many of you ever, have ever heard of a brand ambassador? Anyone? Brand ambassadors, you know what that is? Social media influencers have 10 million followers and so they will ask them to, to wear this or, or, or eat this or have this somewhere. They're a brand ambassador representing, representing a company's interest to a group of people that they might not be able to reach. Well, you don't want a brand ambassador that's gonna cause your company grief. You don't want somebody represent, they're, they're a billboard. And the cool thing, I, I, years ago, I, I mean, I used to play a lot, I still do play racquetball, but I used to play a lot of racquetball. And for some reason in the back of my mind, I thought, you know what, when I, when I get to be 50 years old, I could, if I just kept playing and kept working really hard, maybe I could become, maybe I could get sponsored by one of the racquetball companies. I was stupid back then. But anyway, I thought maybe, because here, if, there's, a, there's one thing, if you would use a Ectalon racket, that's one thing. But if you were sponsored by the company, they would send you rackets. They would give you apparel. They would give you shoes. They would give you stuff that other people can't get because you're being sponsored by them. You would get something you didn't work for, earn, or deserve. You got it because you were a brand ambassador. Guess what, church? You're brand ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. You are a brand ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. The difference between a Christian and an ambassador is that an ambassador understands that I don't have the right to live my life the way I want to live my life. I hear this, wait, I get so angry when I hear people say, well, I'm just living my own truth. Now, usually that's a person in the kingdom of darkness. But we have a lot of that attitude in the body of Christ where we're going to pick and choose what we believe. We're going to pick and choose what we respond to. We're going to pick and choose whether or not we're going to love somebody, whether we're going to be kind to somebody, whether we're going to pray for somebody that's despitefully. We pick and choose who an ambassador doesn't have that option because I don't represent me. I'm representing the kingdom. I'm representing the king. And wherever you go, wherever I go, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we have to represent the kingdom. And here's why this is so important. Because I know that it touched a nerve with some of you when I said that we live in a world today that two plus two does not equal four. There are people, well, we live in a world that still two plus two does equal four. That hasn't changed. And it never will. Because truth is true. It is solid. It is secure. It doesn't change. But there are people who believe that two plus two is five. They believe that two plus... There are people today that do not believe the Bible. And so when you start with the Bible, you've already started in a place that... that they're not going there. Well, what's to say that that book is more important than any other book? Well, that's what I heard. If that's our argument. But you know what people can't argue with? Man, he used to cuss and swear all the time. 
You used to be this, you used to do that. But you know what? I've noticed a change in you. You're different. The reason that we're kind to people isn't because it's a nice thing to do. Minnesota nice. We're not kind because, because of that. We're kind because we represent the kingdom. We're loving because we represent the king. And if we don't represent the king to a world that has no understanding or idea of what the king and the kingdom are like, if we misrepresent the king, if we misrepresent the kingdom, if we ourselves are unaware or ignorant of the kingdom, the world will never see. And so I have this this thought. I want to finish with this. If you don't know, and there's a lot of people that don't know, right here, me. (laughs) If you don't know or believe that God is here, where I am right now, he's present, then you won't live like God is here. Which means you can't live like everybody else lives. It doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter how I act, I'm going to heaven, I'm good. Feel a little guilty, maybe I feel a little bit of shame, but you know what, I'm trying hard. You won't live like God is here. And if you don't live like God is here, then no one else will know that God is here. People aren't, people aren't coming in the four walls. It's the people in the four walls going out. Pastor Tim mentioned next week we, we're having the Hagans here in a revival. I'm calling it a revival. You need to be here. Yeah, but I'm busy. You know, my favorite show's on. Are you a Christian or are you a seeker? Are we seeking the kingdom of God? Are we putting the kingdom of God first? Are we trying to build our kingdom and hoping God blesses what we want to do, how we want to act and how we want to live? I know that stuff happens. I know that life is busy. I know there's a whole lot of things that go on. But if I were you, I would set aside some time to be a part of these services. It's going to be different. A little bit old school in some things, but it's going to be awesome. I believe if you come with the right heart, God's going to touch your heart. He's going to touch your life. He's going to do some things on the inside of you that you've been wanting to have happen. Believe that with all of my heart. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Father, we've unpacked a lot of stuff today. I trust the Holy Spirit to teach, to guide, to illuminate each heart and each mind. That, Father, you would emphasize, re-emphasize truth that people have heard today throughout this week. That, Father, we would be your ambassadors. That we would look at ourselves differently. That we represent you. We've been gifted and anointed and appointed. We've been purposed by you to be a representative wherever we go. Because wherever we go, the kingdom of God goes. We bring the kingdom of God to our home, to our family, to our work to, to, to our, our, our drive to and from work. We represent your kingdom everywhere that we go. So Father, help us. Help us to pursue and seek and put first your kingdom, your actions, your will, Father God, so that we can be that light that shines in darkness. So I thank you for that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. We'll